0: Fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy night. Hello therapists, non-therapists, and everyone in between. My name is Ian Hammonds, and I am full on CBD oil and mimosas, and this is Therapy on Tap. I'm here having a drink with fellow Austin, Texas therapists, Patrick Harris and Hayden Lindsay. This is the most authentic way we know how to talk about therapy in a relaxed, non-judgmental environment. Pint by pint, champagne cork by champagne cork, in my case. We are obviously deprived of a pub given the current fucking pandemic. This is not a promotion of drinking, but instead humanizing the field, the best way that three humans can share a space.
1: But Ian, isn't it problematic for a therapist to drink alcohol? Well, let's unpack that, shall we?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, what we're saying is it's not problematic. We're three humans coming together to talk about therapy, and we happen to have a drink in our hands as we talk about this.
1: <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I've already gotten excited and posted on social media, and immediately had negative feedback just on the drinking portion alone. So I was curious what y'all's experience I, was. I didn't know that. It wasn't. Negative it was feedback. more just like one or two people. It wasn't like a. Oh That's my still god! enough. That's still enough to be like. What?
0: Really? Yeah. I want to hear about that. (laughs) I do too. Uh, I'll unpack that for it. Tell me more about that, Patrick.
1: My Facebook is an interesting dive into social psychology because I have so many areas of interest in my life where I have a bunch of friends that are humanitarian clowns that are more on the um, liberal side. And then I have a bunch of friends that are bikers that are more on the conservative side. And then I have friends from um, the therapeutic humor stuff that I do or professional circles. And it's really interesting. So when I throw something that's just kind of like off the wall, the difference in responses is is always uh, has me taken aback. Because when I said that, there was one or two people that specifically said, oh, I noticed that you didn't have anything on substance abuse, specifically alcohol. Like obviously drawing attention to the fact that we are three professionals drinking on a podcast, but... I think people are focusing on the wrong things. We get it. You're popular. Anyway. <laughs> um. <laughs> but it, it's, I feel like that stigma is like anytime that no, you bring it, alcohol it. into anything, then it's yes. like, ooh,
0: they're it's edgy. Like, oh, no.
1: No. Even, tisk tisk. Even though I feel like this really is just trying to replicate what we would be doing if the world was normal. Like going out to happy hour and yeah, if, venting. If bars were
0: open, we would literally find bars to just sit and talk about therapy, talk about clients within respect of their confidentiality, of course, but we would, we would be in a public space right now. And the fact that we can't, it's like, why not just make the best of what we have in front of us, which is a champagne flute in front of me <laughs> and a bunch of wires on the table.
2: Um, well, sp- speaking of, I, I'm always interested in, in what people are, are drinking. So Ian, what do you have in front of you? This is a
0: sparkling rosé with Minute made pulp-free orange juice and Patrick's lovely champagne flute. <laughs> Patrick, what about you?
1: I am drinking a $10 bottle of wine from the local liquor store. Love it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what, Love it. What about, Perfect. What about you, Not Mr. Not bragging, pickle, but... Uh, 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 of all things, I'm drinking a best-made sour pickle beer... Uh, from the lovely folks at Martin House in Fort Worth, Texas, oh. who are not sponsors yes. yet. <laughs> um, Patrick, my uh, all of my friends were stoked when I when I told them about the about eighty people, ninety people were really uh, <laughs> stoked about this podcast. We get at your popular. Too. I I don't know what that says about the kind of people that I hang around with, but uh, I, I, so far I have not gotten any negative feedback.
0: Well, I mean, speaking, I mean, we're all talking about the kind of alcohol that we're drinking. Why don't we talk about the first take of this show and why we're having to re-record the first episode?
2: Technical difficulties.
0: Mm, uh, well, so... Technically, we were drunk. <laughs> Technically, we were very drunk. We took the whole on tap <laughs> thing quite literally. And we just decided to wing the whole... Frickin' podcast and have (laughs) zero structure and we sent it to our producer and she came back with some pretty direct words
1: that basically said that we were too rambly and we didn't have structure we were not concise enough and that patrick sounds too handsome on radio it was it was a whole thing y'all don't flatter yourself i'm just (laughs) kidding
0: you're very handsome by the way um yeah no i mean we we literally just did like an hour and a half worth of content and by the end of it we're practically falling out of our chairs we kept having to look away from the <laughs> microphones because we kept belching because all of us were so full of, of of alcohol
2: well we spent the last two or three minutes here defending the concept and then uh, uh that anyway yes <laughs> all of that all It was of that fun. Happened. i'm not gonna lie
0: but you i yeah i ended up um getting drunken tacos that night and <laughs> Hayden ended up throwing up right outside of where we're recording in the alleyway.
2: <laughs> Sorry to put you on blast, but it happened. Well, Ian just, uh, I wasn't going to mention this, but since. <laughs> Ian, Do it. Ian just, uh, were, we're recording in Patrick's house here, and he just uh, knocked over one of Patrick's girlfriend's uh, house plants.
1: As I was singing Whitney Houston very badly. <laughs> My full intention was to hide this houseplant so she would never know. But if she ever listens to this episode, then... Sorry, Nicole. (laughs) But I do want to revisit before we move off of the drinking thing. One, uh, this is a timely topic because the Washington Post actually just published an article, and I don't know if you've seen it. It's titled, No Game Days, No Bars. The Pandemic is Forcing Some Men to Realize They Need Deeper Friendships. yes. Did you all read that? Yeah, I read it. It's not, but I agree
0: with what the the
1: title is. And I don't think that directly applies to us. Not that we're any better than the average men, but I feel like as therapists, we have a little bit more emotional intelligence just by virtue of what we do. But our friendship is a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I feel like we aren't afraid to go deep. I mean, just, you know, you're going to find out on the podcast. We're not afraid to have deeper conversations and more connective conversations. But I think the average male, cisgendered male in the United States is realizing that a lot of their friendships or social engagements were very, I don't know, they needed a catalyst to be together. There was always an excuse. There's always, let's get together. Built around the the
2: football game, built around the bar. I I like both those things.
0: I can't go to a club anymore and dance. I was actually just <laughs> just saying that right before we started recording, that I miss a club
1: and going dancing. But anyways, that's why uh, we decided to go with the Therapy on Tap name and the premise of the podcast. And I even liken it to the old school salons, the sharing of great ideas that used to take place in pubs and pint houses back in the days of old. I feel like this is the perfect social lubricant to Get their creative juices flowing, and hopefully, the outcome is something positive.
2: Well, and how, how many how many revolutions were started in coffee houses and, and bars? Pubs. And and I think we're you know that might be a little grandiose, but I think we're trying to <laughs> trying to start a revolution of sorts where mental health is okay to talk about, uh, and, and just naming that we're we're three men in here, uh, particularly for men, uh, just. Demystifying, destigmatizing, and, and humanizing it. I see what you did there. I, did, did you see what I did there?
0: <laughs> which leads us to our next segment, which is why are we doing this? Why are we sitting here talking about therapy on a podcast, having a drink? Well, as licensed therapists, we are still human, and we all still have a message. And we reassure people over and over again as part of our jobs that we're not alone. But instead of instilling that message in one therapy session at a time, why not come together and reach potentially a large quantity of people? However, comma, we are not (laughs) providing therapy services on this podcast, thank God, because we've all been drinking pretty much this whole day. This is for um, infotainment purposes only. I almost said entertainment. This is, <laughs> this is for entertainment purposes only. Period. Which Period. is why we're all shirtless. Mm, just hating. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's talk about what the hell our mission is. What, what is our mission here, you guys? It's Whoa! To, can we cuss on this podcast? Fuck yes, we can. <laughs> I'd be offended if we didn't cuss. Our mission is to... <laughs> destigmatize, demystify, and humanize therapy and mental health. So, in honor of our mission, what resonates most
1: to defy stigma and mystique of therapy?
0: Patrick, why don't we start with you? Uh,
1: so, I come from a Mexican-American family. Well, I come from an Irish family and a Mexican-American family, but I don't really keep in touch with the other side. So, I was I was raised in a predominantly... Mexican household, Uh, grew up in inner city Houston, which was tons of fun when you are a predominantly white presenting individual such as myself. But I was adorable, so I got away with it. But one thing that I found interesting as being a therapist, um, there is still a lot of, well, one, there's a lot of stigma in mental health just in our country to begin with. But with minority populations, especially in the Mexican American community, there's still not a lot of trust in mental health. And I think it's funny that um, the only reason I went for my master's and went for my PhD is my great-aunt Stella, who is uh, heaven sent, the one of the most amazing people I've ever met, really emphasized that uh, the younger generation, my generation and our cousins, should take advantage of every academic opportunity that we have. So if we can go to school, we should go to school, because her generation wasn't allowed to access any academic resources just by virtue of being Mexican. So they really support all of my higher education, and they really support my career choices. But when I talk to anybody on that side of the family about going to therapy or seeking out therapy, they all of a sudden are, "No, we don't believe in that. Like that's that's witchcraft. Look, like, we don't we don't brain do stuff." Yeah, which is ironic because our family has a there. Like we all have like holistic treatments, and we don't shy away from like health. It's just there's that weird stigma of mental health. So I always found that interesting. Um, So I've kind of made that my mission to really break some of that stigma and demystify the field. And I tend to do that more from a humanitarian approach just because we work in the field of humanities, but we don't really, I don't know, it doesn't always feel human. You know, it's very clinical sometimes. Like you can go I'm and, over
2: here nodding and you can't see it, <laughs> but this is my nodding voice. Nodding in mm. agreement.
1: It's a very like clinic if you allow it to be, it's a very clinical field. And I remember uh when I first uh met Patch Adams, if any of you saw the movie from the nineties, uh with Robin Williams, it was based on a very real person who's a very incredible individual. But uh he gave a talk on um bringing humanity into medicine. And he said that when he was in medical school, never once did he hear that you should love your patient. Never once did he hear that you should learn your patient's name and connect with your patient. They were all worried about transference. And that was something that really resonated with me as a therapist is you have to keep that barrier. You have to keep that, that boundary with clients. And I never once heard uh, the term love your client, unless we were talking about Carl Rogers or unconditional positive regard. There wasn't a, lo- a surprisingly mm-hmm. absent was talking about being humane in the session
0: for whatever reason that just made me think of the tradition when you were talking about the holistic cultures of of just the Mexican holism and tradition. I, I was thinking about the egg ritual, the <laughs> rubbing the egg on you, and if it turns out fine, then you're
1: good. But if it turns out black, you're gonna have to be more specific because we use eggs with. Every ritual. Like, oh, <laughs> crap. Alrighty. There's curado susto. There's curado
0: ojo. M- my Caucasian is showing. Anyway, <laughs> no, it's just... I, I, Sometimes I watched... we get
1: squirrely and just fill eggs with confetti. It's a whole thing. No, what was the...
0: God damn it. There was a horror movie that I watched um, where they rubbed the egg on someone and it came out black, which means that they were cursed. What's that called? No. Is that <laughs> that mind? might just All right, be a, never mind a horror then. movie you saw. Moving on. I'm
2: more familiar with the scotch <laughs> egg. Okay. Yeah,
0: well, I'm more familiar with the Fabergé egg anyway. Um No, I I want to talk about um basically to destigmatize therapy in, in my world. So, being a gay man, dating gay dating is not fun at all. Luckily, I'm I'm off the market. Do you I call like- it gating? Gating. Yeah, we could call it dating, gating or grindering or Tinder or whatever the fuck <laughs> the, the kids are using nowadays. Um, no, I, I'm actually happily in love and engaged to a wonderful man.
2: Oh, that's very sweet. Oh, thank
0: you. But, Aww. um, can we, could we get our producer to put a,
1: Aww, right there? <laughs> we should.
0: <laughs> but when I was single, um, I remember telling people a lot in my world that I was a therapist. They asked, you know, just the simple, simple getting to know you questions. What do you do for a living? Um, and I would tell them I was a therapist. I would get such a wide range of reactions. I would get, um, wow, that's really cool to, oh my God, are you a clairvoyant? Can you read my mind? (laughs) And all the way to, um, oh, fuck, no, I'm going to ghost you. That's terrifying and I don't want any part of it. So maybe part of this podcast is maybe for me is to send out the message, especially in the queer community, that not all therapists are bad and we we can actually we can heal, we can send out kind of healing energy, healing vibes, and you know our our cause is for kind of the greater good it's to again send out the message that you don't have to be alone in all the things that you kind of experience so what about you hayden what's 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 it like being cute working in psych <laughs> 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 that was in the the notes that Patrick just surprised us with, but
2: yeah. How does just break de-
0: defying the stigma and mystique of therapy? How does that resonate with you?
2: I, I resonate a lot with your your difficulties in gay dating. Gating, gating. I, I'm kidding. I, I, I don't. I, I'm ninety seven percent straight. This doesn't have to actually go in. <laughs>
1: Is it because
2: Ryan Reynolds exists? Or Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> both, both the Reynolds. Well, Patrick, I, I love hearing you talk about uh, Patch Adams, uh, and both of you know this, but part of my journey uh, to becoming a therapist is that I started out in medical school, and I, I did about two and a, some change uh, years in medical school. Uh, I actually dropped out after my psychiatry rotation uh, because there was, uh, in my experience, there there was just not a lot of of humanity in that uh, in that approach. Uh, I've since met some uh, wonderful psychiatrists who who defy that, and and so I want to be you know super clear about that. I, I love love psychiatry, just wasn't for me. But in my first uh, class as a as a graduate counseling student, I heard this funny word. Empathy, a- and I heard that for the first time, and I really That's got That's an SAT w- word.
1: Not e- to be confused with impotence. That
2: was a whole other college experience. <laughs> I, I also I specialize in both of those things, actually. Um, <laughs> empathy and impotence. Empathy and impotence. Uh, that is Hayden's do- specialties, everyone. So yes, I work with a lot of men, so That's I have Hayden's a, I have a lot of empathy for impotence. But I, I found it disconcerting that I made it through over halfway through medical school without hearing that word. And I, I went to a a, a top twenty five school, uh, very heavy on uh the science, um, wonderful professors, very proud of our Nobel laureates, um, but it just I was I kept going kind of internally somewhere, where is uh where is the humanity in all of this? And so, anyway, I dropped out. I, I went, uh, took a year off. I waited tables uh, at medieval times. I call that part Uzzah! of my call that part of my life the dark ages. <laughs> <laughs> and I got into a wonderful school and and became a counselor. And yeah. uh, um, and despite my best efforts, my first job out of school was in a hospital. And uh, I worked at an acute psychiatric facility and. Uh, worked with all sorts of people coming in the door. Um, but I, I was always shocked at the amount of people who uh, – this was their first interface with the mental health field. It was coming in and, and seeing someone like me in an acute setting, an emergency setting, a crisis setting. And uh, I, I just had to get really curious about what took them so long. Why why is it so difficult to access care, and and is it? Uh, I'm sure part of it is our system here, but I, I think there's a, a lot of stigma.
1: Well, the average delay of uh, accessing care for w- the first onset of mental health symptoms is ten years.
2: That's ridiculous. Asinine, <laughs> Asinine inhumane.
1: But that's because of the well, you, everything that you brought up: the stigma, the dehumanizing experience of going to a hospital and getting hospitalized and losing your rights and then just also not knowing how to access these resources until it's too late essentially
2: and i think that was another thing i wanted to talk about is sort of the the double edged sword of therapy and i tell this straight up to my clients you know usually in the first one or two sessions therapy is like the weirdest fucking thing in the world it's <laughs> two people locked in a room talking about things that you don't talk about anywhere else in your life. Um, I I think it's fucking weird. I love it. Uh, I think it's one of the coolest things that we do, but this sort of uh, the the confidentiality, the sacred space is a double-edged sword because it it is this sequestering away from everything. And and so we don't know, uh, we don't know what goes on behind the door. And I think that contributes to a lot of the stigma. So, uh, I think that's part of the reason I'm here is to just uh talk a little bit about what goes on behind the door uh so if you're listening and uh interested in therapy or scared of therapy, you can hear a little bit more about what it what it's like
1: and I regret that we have to like scrap everything from our drunken first take because was there was so some good. good information, but there was something that you'd mention in the first time about where we were mentioning that a lot of people have a barrier or they don't give us the full picture as therapists um, when they come in for fear of being hospitalized, or I I don't want to tell my therapist what's really going on because they will call the police and have me committed.
2: Yeah. Well, what I tell my clients is it's not that someone the, the SWAT team is not going to crash in through the, the, Window and and take you away. Uh, we are just there for uh, your safety, and, and I, I really want to normalize talking about uh, uh, suicidal thoughts and 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 all that. And I'm not sure if that's where you're going with this. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, we I all have... think about that. I mean, all
0: of us have been suicidal in one point in our life. I mean, let's just be honest here. I mean, I, I think our profession really. Um, places a lot of emphasis on report like reporting suicidal thoughts or or even just the mumbling i don't want to be here anymore it's like you know a lot of clients that actually i see will will say i'm even scared to say that out loud to you and right 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 which is just really sad i mean there's what were you going to say?
1: <laughs> no, but I was going to say, I mean, that's a good transition to what we wanted to talk about next is just the negative attitude towards therapy yes. is that fear of the unknown. Because I don't think as therapists that we really kind of pause and think what position of a power that we're in a lot of the times, because sometimes we do have to facilitate a hospitalization. If it's if the client is a legitimate danger to themselves or to the others, so we can't pretend like, no, that doesn't happen. But it doesn't happen as frequently as I think people think it does. Or that disturbing thoughts mean you're automatically going to go to the hospital.
0: Or even when people say mental illness, that doesn't automatically mean that you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Yeah. You know, like that just, that means that you are normal and that you are a part of a huge, huge, huge population that suffers from depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts. I mean, let's just be real here. But even beyond
1: suicidal thoughts... I mean, hallucinations, like sleep deprivation. People are just downing all sorts of caffeine and weird crap these days that a lot of those side effects is auditory visual hallucinations. Like we all have our bachelor's and master's degree. There's no way that y'all have not been sleep deprived to the point where you were seeing crap. Don't you dare room. shade my caffeine addiction, <laughs>
0: Patrick. Stop while you're ahead. No, I'm a, I'm a shameless
2: caffeine addict. We, we could have done, you know, I have probably hallucinated therapy on press and done this in the morning over some some hot coffee, but no, uh, I don't know that I uh, that we would be as authentic. No, uh, going that route.
0: Six forty seven p.m. on a Friday evening, and we're basically, as we said earlier in the episode, that right now, if there was no pandemic, we would probably be somewhere in a dive bar. Sipping well, in my case, sipping champagne, and y'all are sipping beer. But uh, yeah, no, we we would definitely be sitting in a bar somewhere talking about therapy. Now let's talk about why people should listen to us. Maybe
1: you're on the fence of seeing a therapist. Maybe you are wanting to become a
2: therapist yourself. Or maybe you are a therapist and need several drinks. <laughs>
0: Maybe you were just looking for something fun and informative. Why did
2: I get the one about all the the (laughs) drinking?
0: I think you volunteered yourself there, Hayden. (laughs) But therapists are really, they're, they're taught to not talk about themselves, really. I mean, we're taught to kind of be blank slates in grad school, and we're taught to really not disclose that much about our own selves. But we will actually be talking about ourselves quite a bit here, especially Hayden. I love talking about myself <laughs> yes, <he does. laughs> I mean, who doesn't though?
2: and we're taught that it's damaging to the clients like we're we're putting stuff on clients, and of course, in session we, I don't don't talk about myself all the time, but i I do a lot of therapeutic self disclosing, which I think is is humanizing and uh and helps me feel connected to my clients
0: absolutely. I mean, who basically it's human nature to like to talk about yourself. Um, and yeah. of, of course this is a, a really good way for us to have that opportunity to just
1: be seen. How weird is it though, just to have a one-sided conversation? Like
2: it's really weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, can you imagine going in and pouring your heart out to a therapist that shares zero information about them? Cause like, I, I've met them before where they're like, yeah, if a, if a patient asks me where I'm from, I generally ask why they want to know that. And then we use that to process their inquisitive nature. And it's like, nah, nah, no. just say that you're from. This city, I don't understand. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, and I think it's the Freudian technique. Yeah, the
2: old uh, blank uh, the slate paradigm that we are the, the the blank slate, the expert, and and the client is in this somehow in this one down position. And I think the research has shown us over and over that we we don't heal. Uh, you, I think you can maybe set a broken bone from a, a position of superiority, but I, I don't know that we we heal relational wounds. Uh, from from that one up position, so yeah. uh, we are in a position of power, and and I take that responsibility very seriously. But uh, at the essential human level, um, you know, I really try to meet my clients on on an even keel, and I think that's part of what we're doing here. I think
0: ironically, I, I um, remember seeing a therapist as a teen, and she would not tell me a single thing about herself. And being a Scorpio, I have a memory of an elephant, and I. Remembered every little kind of minor detail that she would kind of just let slip out accidentally. I feel so bad for the woman now, looking back. But there was one one therapist where I would, or one one session where I would tell my therapist, uh, "This is what you told me about your children and where you live, and what kind of movies you're into, and how you broke your leg." So yeah, I, I remember. I I I remember at that point in my life. I was really wanting to know more about the person that was sitting in the same room with me. If clients ask me what, you know, are you single? No, I I, I will tell them like I'm engaged. Um, You know, like I, I, if clients want basic details about my life, I will definitely give it to them. Because again, when my therapist would say, I can't discuss that with you, I would shut down. I I wouldn't feel like, I wouldn't feel like, Mm. you know, they were, uh, you know, they were there for the right reasons. So,
2: yeah the, the the line for me is am I putting my stuff on my client am I am I sharing it with them to build a connection or am I putting my stuff on them and uh, toe right. that line pretty well yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you I go. think also the just time. like humanizes your role too I remember one time
1: when I was in uh, my practicum in grad school and I was seeing a couple and I said I I made the observation that oh that you know this is something common my partner and I often disagree about this as well and they're like wait what like aren't you a therapist like you you argue with your partner and it's like yeah like it's pretty normal to (laughs) disagree you're two completely different people and it was that was a good opportunity to challenge that distortion of like the goal is never to not argue with your partner it's just to use that discussion like more productively or conduct yourself a little bit better with your communication not to completely get rid of conflict because that would just be super creepy
0: yeah, I think with another another mission of this is just kind of coming up for me. I mean, it's also right in front of me on my computer screen, but uh, lifting the therapeutic veil, so to speak, I think. I, I, I think that veil of mystique that a lot of therapists wear typically, and in reality, the general public doesn't want to go into a room with another human that puts their britches on just like we do, um, and say not a single thing about themselves. So that's another reason why, I mean, people, if, if you're interested, if you're listening to a podcast, you're interested in therapy, you're interested on kind of what goes on as soon as you leave your therapist office. It's, it's all right here. <laughs> there's a, a bucket of almost empty champagne on the same table as us. There's a few masks. There's a few champagne flutes and half-drunken bottles of water. So half-drunk.
1: Half-drunk. half drunken that That was last week though how cool would it be when you say lifting the therapeutic veil we have madonna's like a
2: prayer song (sighs) just slowly (sighs) start playing in the background
0: oh copyright
2: Uh, (laughs) but yes i I like i like the the idea of ditching the clipboard i uh i don't use a clipboard in my sessions i think uh some people kind of hide behind it so you know lifting the veil or uh I don't know, at least putting the clipboard to the side so you can sit with someone face-to-face or zoom-to-zoom at this point.
1: Oh, that's an interesting topic. Do y'all take notes? I do, sometimes. Do I you do, hate? I, I don't. No. We could argue about that later. But <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that, I feel like I've never actually asked another therapist that. I'm very fortunate that I have a pretty stellar memory that I can remember most things except for names for some reason always elude me, but I've never felt the need to take notes.
2: If it's really important, I write it on my palm (laughs) with a sharpie in the session. Innovative approach. I'll have a little
0: tablet. um, You know, like uh, during the session, I'll be like on a Zoom call with someone, and I'll I'll literally tell them if you see me looking down, it's just because I'm taking notes or reading them. He's
2: checking his Facebook
0: page. No,
1: (laughs) you know that trope in movies where like smart people just write. Random shit on glass. I like to do that during notes. I'll go to the window with a dry <laughs> erase marker. And- if it works. Keep doing
2: Goodwill it. Goodwill hunting.
0: <laughs> Swig the rest of my glass of champagne because I was just saying that I'm not lubricated enough. Anyway.
1: <laughs> I, like, it- I like how many visual gags we have for a podcast. We right really now. do. <laughs> We're
0: Men are pretty visual creatures, so
1: um <laughs> hayden's been holding a rubber chicken this entire time no, and it's he just hasn't. lost on the audience
0: he's been choking his own chicken this entire <laughs> time sitting
2: on a whoopee cushion
0: <laughs> so in the spirit of demystifying humanizing and destigmatizing let's introduce ourselves all righty guys so all of us have this is the one that really kind of we can get carried away with but for concision purposes and to, you know, be nice to our producer who has to edit this whole thing. Let's keep it concise
1: and relatively short on how we know each other. So the year was 1987 and
2: I was but a twinkle in my father's eye. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> that's so cute. Can you ever really know yourself <laughs> or know another <sighs> person? Oh God.
1: wait before that can we take a step back and say why we became therapists
0: sure that's what you want to start with go for it i'm not gonna stop you no i don't want to go
1: first i just want to. oh (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right
0: well
2: i became a therapist to figure out why my family was so fucked up same though and that is the honest answer um mom if you're listening i love you (laughs) so much so so much um now, I had the pleasure of meeting Harville Hendricks uh several years ago. If y'all are familiar with him, he's a fabulous yes. uh couples therapist along with his wife Helen and um, Imago, right? He, Imago, yeah. yeah. Um I'm not uh an Imago therapist, but I I, I do appreciate Harvel. From work. Aladdin? That's what? Iago. <laughs> Iago? No one? Really? No, Imago. Im- Imago. That was a solid parrot. joke for our Th- Disney fans. That was a good joke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of... uh. We should have a Disney on tap episode we where should. we dissect all of the, the, the toxic... Archety- the archetypes
0: ooh, of all the villains. Ooh. That Fuck
2: yeah, if, but the, the toxic relational themes in, in the in the Disney movies, but uh Harville from Imago <laughs> uh, he, he says that we are born into relationship and we are wounded in relationship and we are healed in relationship. And I can't think of a better reason uh, or a better way to explain why I got into this field than that. Uh, I obviously uh, was not smart enough to understand that, uh, you know, a decade ago when I kind of began this journey. Um, But I love uh, helping... I I love giving folks a a different relational experience in session and I love helping them create different relationship experiences outside of session and I think that is where the healing occurs. So that's why very good. That's why I got into this. And all the money. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> My debt to income ratio oh says. Oh I'm kidding. Exactly. I, I <laughs> once uh, I once ran out of gas on the way to a session, and I uh, when I was an intern, and I uh, this could be another uh, podcast, uh, whole episode, but I I didn't have any uh, money in my bank account to to get gas or or buy an Uber, and so uh, I I ran literally uphill. You know, your your grandpa always says he had to walk uphill both ways, but. I uh, ran uphill from 7th Street to Capital Area Counseling on uh, MLK. It was about three miles. took me eh, 25 minutes or so. I was barefoot. I took off my Oxfords and was running <laughs> running barefoot. And uh, I got there 15 minutes late and watched my client uh, bicycle away. Uh, my, and my feet were all bloody. And uh, I got in there and opened up my bag, and uh, I was missing a shoe so uh (laughs) this actually happened this happened um and that's why i don't wear shoes in there uh in session i i um i do therapy in my socks and it's kind of a throwback to to that moment so definitely did not get into this for the money um i'm doing all right right now (laughs) not that y'all y'all are asking but um he and his daddy (laughs) because he makes more money
1: than we do (laughs) Calling him Daddy. My very first uh, job in the mental health field was working for the local mental health authority in Harris County in Houston. But that was fun. Yeah. (laughs) Are
2: there any mental health issues in Harris County?
1: No. Weirdly, it was just uh, a lot of normal people. But that. (laughs) No. So we were my my job was uh, providing psychosocial rehabilitation for people that are at or below the poverty level that have a primary diagnosis of schizophrenia, bipolar, major depression. And so part of that was like case management. And I remember helping somebody apply for disability. It took several months. And then we had a big celebration when they finally were awarded their first disability check. And I look at it and it is $200 less than I make a month. Wow. <laughs> it was the most <laughs> defeating feeling I uh, had experienced in my life up to, <laughs> to that point. Well, that's
0: the thing about this business, especially if you're in private practice is you, you, you get what you give. I mean, there's, there's a certain uncertainty, oxymoron, there's a certain uncertainty of depending on your clients for your primary source of income when our clients are probably one of the most, if not the most inconsistent form of income out there. No oh, offense to any of my clients that are listening right now, I love <laughs> all, each and all of you, but I just in general, I mean, people are unpredictable. And you could be ready for a session, be ready to get paid. And then all of a sudden, poof, can't make it, Um, which
1: happens to a lot of us. So speaking of unpredictable, how I got into therapy was uh, when I was a my freshman and sophomore year at Texas State University, I was a music major and I absolutely loved every moment of it. It was great, but I got really burnt out on it. It's one of those things where if you have to do what you love, then you just learn to not love it anymore. But I got really burnt out mid-sophomore year and I had this like weird midlife crisis at the age of what, 19, 20, however old you are, sophomore year. And so I spent like two weeks trying to figure out like, what do I want to do? Like, I don't have any other passions. I'm not really good at anything else. Like, I didn't consider any other uh, possible career choices. Modeling. So. <laughs> so I decided, you know what? I'm going to leave it in God's hands. Whatever the Whoever the next person that sits next to me in my next class, no matter what they're studying, I'm going to switch my major to that. And I saw this guy walk in and his name was Jake. I forgot his last name. He's a really cool guy. He had tattoos, piercings, cool hair. And I was like, oh, it's going to be something rad like journalism or photography. And I was like, hey, man, what's your major? What are you studying? Because this was like an intro lit class. He's like, dude, psychology, like it's so rad. Like you get to learn about the brain and stuff. So I took an (laughs) intro class and I took a forensic psych class and just absolutely fell in love. And then a year into, after switching my majors, uh, a, f- a member of my family attempted suicide. And that, would, to me, again, being a man of faith, mm. was like, oh, mm-hmm. shit, this is God saying that, like, this is where you should be. This is the path that you should go down. Killer. Um, And the experience they had with the clinic that they worked at and how just horrible it was ended up being the first clinic job that I had. the, <laughs> the story earlier, that was the my first job in the mental health field, was working at the clinic that was so poor to them, but... Yeah, that
2: I'm so intrigued. Wow,
1: <laughs> my mom loves that story, by the way. All the money that she paid to send me to school, and I just rolled the dice on my future.
2: <laughs> well, if you love it so much, why don't you get a PhD in it? <laughs> <laughs> you love it so much, much, myriad, Patrick. Uh, I don't want to speak for you, but uh, uh just for our listeners' sake, uh, because I know you won't brag about yourself, but uh, uh Patrick we can is brag a for PhD you, candidate making <laughs> us look bad over there, Patrick. <laughs> <sighs> yeah
1: it's the reason why i cry
0: but the thing is though like you're not like you have all these intimidating factors about you <laughs> and all the things that you're involved with and you're you're not intimi- like you as a person are not intimidating
1: i don't <laughs> PhD feel less biker. Than when i talk to you
0: yeah well which is a phd it's biker terrifying <laughs> two very terrifying things that he's involved with and yet and yet he's i feel human. so comfortable around you <laughs> very, human. So, Aww, very much you so canize. So I I will Ian say, uh, t- t- tell us about you. I will actually because <laughs> I like to talk about myself too. Um, I I'm actually one of the rare birds in therapy. I've known what I wanted to do um, since graduating high school. I mean, again, to go back to my poor adolescent therapist that was treating me when I was a teenager. God, God bless her. Um, I I liked. I liked what I was seeing in the the office whenever I would go see her and see, you know, people kind of in and out. Like I remember going like, wow, I, this is what I want to be like just seeing, seeing her. Um, so I'm one of the probably 10% of therapists that didn't bounce around in college and grad school and whatever else kind of trying to figure out. Like I've known what I wanted to do all along. Like people, everyone kind of has a calling in life and I, therapy is mine. And it's I'm not trying to sound corny or anything, but that's genuinely like I cannot see myself doing anything else other than therapizing people
2: bring bring <laughs> that's your calling Ian. it is yes maybe we can add it we we can add that in in post a, little, <laughs> a, a
0: trumpet's playing or something, so
2: well, I thought it would be cool if we talked about
0: how we know each other, yes. My favorite part, the relational aspect of this whole thing today. So it requires
1: wow. some background knowledge on the app Grinder. So if you're not familiar with how Grindr... No, I'm just kidding. What the <laughs> fuck? What are you
2: saying? Jeez. Well, we all matched and met.
0: We, we became a throuple. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, I've known the both of you from different walks of life. Patrick, you went to high school in Houston. Uh, so both Patrick and I are from Houston, I went to grad school in Dallas and that's where Hayden and I met each other. But Patrick, you went to high school with my very best friend. I won't say her name cause she's a very private person. Um, but she, she was over here actually a few days ago. Um, you went to high school with her. And when you worked at the practice that all three of us used to work at together, um, I remember sending her a screenshot of your profile and going, do you know this kid? Cause I see that y'all went through the, to the same high school together in Houston. She freaked out she said, Oh my God! You work with him, and I said, "Yes, yes, I do." (laughs) He used
1: to take his pants off in science class.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, she used to actually say that you played in a band at uh, what what is it, Uh, Java Hut, Java Jazz, Java Jazz in Houston. If anybody from the Northwest Houston
1: area knows of that, Um, I was also on ninety four five, the buzz. No, you weren't. I was. Yeah, what? Very briefly. Yeah. Wow. Had a whole little Red Bull sponsored tour of the state of Texas and. I'm telling you, I peaked in high school, and, and it was more all downhill. And more intimidating <laughs> as the time goes by.
2: Red Bull is not a sponsor <laughs> yet. yet. <laughs> we, we'll, like, we'll work on that. We'll get that. We'll get the just like we're going to work yet. on our
0: our Patreon, and Three, it will not be for yet. our pockets. That will our Patreon will actually be for our student loans because we're all drowning in it.
1: Oh, that's a good idea. I forgot about that. And then our OnlyFans is coming out 2022. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started on OnlyFans. But um,
0: yes, so that's how I know the both of you. I went to grad school with you, Hayden. Uh, You went to high school with my best friend, Patrick. How do you
2: guys, Uh, I mean, talk to me about... OnlyFans is a a good segue somehow (laughs) into how I know Ian. Uh, Very voyeuristic. (laughs) So uh, uh, an interesting uh, part of uh, therapist training, uh, at least where I did my training at a uh, wonderful university in Dallas. Uh, I won't name it, but we'll just call it... SMU. SMU. (laughs) Um, Very anonymous. You you get to observe your peers through a one-way mirror. So you actually get to watch therapy being done uh, sometimes well. (laughs)
0: <laughs> keep in mind it's still a training facility it's still a training
2: facility <laughs> through a through a, a one way mirror so it's uh, not intimidating at all to know that uh, an undisclosed amount of your colleagues are watching you from the other side of this window yes it is but um, this was uh, one of my more, more uh, one of my early intimate moments with Ian uh, was We've watching the him name do do therapy. we've had many since but uh before we even uh really met and and i think we were aware of each other but uh everyone was aware of me i was like the the only like straight dude in my program yep well, one of two <laughs> i think and then think, the, the rest hey were gay joel men. if you're listening uh, but um <laughs> so a really uh interesting experience uh getting to watch ian through this one-way mirror and uh had no idea uh years later we'd be living in, in Austin, Texas, the uh living in the same town and uh eventually working at the same group practice and now doing a podcast together. So thank goodness for that one-way mirror.
0: <laughs> Have I ever told you that you're the wind beneath my wings? <laughs>
2: That's funny because you, you, you're you're my hero. I, oh. I, I you did some wonderful couples work with uh, a very difficult uh, a couple, or I should say, a, a couple going through a very difficult time in their lives, and I was uh, very uh, impressed by your work and. Um, I've been uh, a fan of yours ever since. Aww, an, an, only, so an only fan. That's adorable. <laughs> An
0: only fan. That <laughs> warms my cold, dead heart over there, Hayden. Um, the first time, so, I mean, we had obviously been around each other in grad school, but the first time that you and I had, like, officially hung out together, it was the first weekend that I moved to Austin, and you had found out that I lived in the same beautiful city as you, and you wanted to take me out, and you took me to Dirty Sixth, where you introduced me to bartender after bartender that you knew by first name. And I, Oh,
2: that's why you had me say that thing earlier about the, all the alcohol. Okay. No, I'm just,
0: (laughs) I'm just saying like you, you really showed me Austin and I, I have not kind of articulated how appreciative I am of you kind of being here and just really kind of, I mean, showing me what the city is all about. Literally the first weekend that I moved here from Dallas, Um, you took me out, you picked me up from my, Apartment complex, and I woke up the next morning uh, on my bathroom floor. <laughs> so, and, the and, rest and I think at history. some point we
2: were like, we should start a podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a bit later, but yeah, you you get the idea.
2: So yeah. So and, you know. and I took you to the bar that I was working oh, at. Oh yeah, um, because bar bar. I like to diversify my portfolio, but.
0: <laughs> So all you non-Austinites out there, Austin is going through rapid gentrification, and that bar is no longer there. It's now about to become, what, a parking garage or an apartment building?
2: They're clearing parking lots to build buildings. They're <sighs> clearing buildings to build parking lots. They're building it's, parking it's a lots. on really is.
0: So you've heard a lot about our missions, why we are doing this, and how the three of us know each other. But let's talk about our specialties and where we can be found before we preview further episodes and sadly wrap up our mostly sober first episode.
2: All good things come to an end.
0: Oh, so I guess I'll go first. My my specialties are couples, especially I work with all queer couples. I actually now I work with all couples, period. Um, I work with a lot of queer clients. I work with a lot of anxiety Um, I specialize in a lot of attachment, um, a lot of relationships and that's pretty much me in a nutshell.
2: Well, Ian, like you, I, uh, I work with a lot of couples. I consider that a specialty. Um, my big passion at the moment is men's mental, spiritual and sexual health. So I end up working with, I'd say work with about 80% men at the moment and, uh, the rest are mostly heterosexual couples, and then with a few uh, women peppered in there, just to keep things a little interesting. Uh, I have a, a, a big passion uh, in the world of spiritual psychology. I think that's one of those things that is kind of left out of uh, the, the conversation. I'm sure we'll be talking about that at some point, um, as well as... Uh, sort of this existential bit. So I end up working with a lot of grief and loss. So that's me in a nutshell. Very nice. No I- pun intended.
0: <laughs> Forgot to mention, I actually do work with a lot of men. I work with just any any kind of men's issues, whether you're a gay man, a straight man, vicarious man, all men's issues. That's definitely something that is very close to my heart. Patrick, take it away. What are your specialties?
1: I work with couples as well, but I have become a little bit more selective with the couples that I work with. I generally like the couples that kind of like hit that plateau period where they thought that like marriage was the finish line and now they're scratching their heads wondering why their relationship isn't as spicy as it was in the mm. beginning. <laughs> uh, so that's that's my jam and like communication issues and conflict resolution I tend to gravitate towards those. I'm not a big fan of the the high conflict couples. I think the older that I get, the less patience I have for high conflict. But my main focus is, um, uh, well, my PhD work is in mind-body medicine. So I've gravitated more towards mind-body interventions and somatic work. I have a particular interest in clinical hypnosis. And I've just started dabbling in virtual reality therapy where I incorporate a Mm. virtual reality headset and there's some very specifically catered environments that I bring in for people with specific phobias. Um, also interested in cranioelectrical electrical stimulation and um, a lot of just kind of like brainwave stuff and brain entrainment. I'm particularly interested in binarial beats because the applications for that has been pretty interesting. But my if I had a dream client, I really enjoy working with clients that have. Um, a lot of mental health issues that have manifested physically. So hardcore anxiety people that are starting to have like gastrointestinal issues, or where their uh, stress or depression might be presenting more physically than mentally.
2: But very cool.
0: I feel very insignificant right now, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Mr. PhD. Let me pull you out of your shame spiral. Okay, you are you are wonderful. Yeah, this we is all- not. No, I, I, I think I, we get caught into he, like the competition of it where it's like
1: oh you do that you went to that training you have that certification wait. those are the letters you have it doesn't matter we all help people i do like to tell my
2: clients uh, every now and then i will be using some big words and that is just so you keep coming back and paying me <laughs>
1: <laughs> i think it's funny like these therapists that put their trainings behind their names like do y'all know what a ctts is if you saw that behind my name, would you know that is? Nope. Certified Tobacco Training Specialist or Treatment Specialist. Sorry, I don't even know my own. <laughs> it was this like super intensive, like week-long training at Rutgers where we learn how to help people quit smoking, but no one knows what the fuck that means. Like it, wow. doesn't, it doesn't matter what training or certifications we have. It's just as
0: long as that we're helping people. I yeah, think that's and all that, that and as long as there's a human, Can I mean, just like you said, really just all of the trainings and stuff. I mean, both of the licenses that I have are pretty hard to get, but. Right? And on average, most people who come across my profile feel kind of a pretty um, interpersonal connection with. It's really not about your specialties. It's whether or not you jive with that person. I jive really well with men. I drive well with couples. Um, Also, ironically, a teen, I I, um, actually love working with teens, um, especially the kinds of teens that are kind of struggling with those existential questions of what do I want to do with the rest of my life? a teen actually told me recently when I asked him, it was our, our um, intake session. And I, I said, how was this for you today? And he said, um, so, so deeply and profoundly, well, this wasn't actually as clinical as I thought it would be. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> and which just kind of goes to show like, I I don't I mean, obviously, we have to have kind of a, a clinical, um, clinical background, but I, I'm not, Um, I try to keep my sessions as the least clinical as possible because that shit does kind of drive away people. Wouldn't y'all say? Or with
1: like, teens can cut through the bullshit. Like, if you are not authentic in your clinical side and you're trying to bring too much of that with teens, they will call you out immediately. That's what I love about teens. It's like, you cannot bullshit a teenager.
0: You can't. They are very, they respect authenticity. (laughs) That's for sure. There's...
2: One other population I forgot to mention that I love, love, love working with, and that is people renegotiating their relationship with alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> love working with these people. But most of the the ones I work with are men, and um, it's obviously a big thing for men. And uh, but I think I the the way I approach this is very non-pathologizing, and it, it's all about. Uh, what do you want, and, and where's the balance for you, um, and and so yeah, and and nothing like talking with an Irish pollock about your substance use.
0: <laughs> Very nice. Well, um, what to expect for future episodes for this lovely podcast? We have a basically what we wanted to do is we sat down in Hayden's office when we were planning out this episode, and there's a wide variety of things that we could talk about, but we narrowed it down to a humble 14 episodes. Um, and <laughs>
1: office- oh, yeah, y'all were
2: on my couch, like a couple It was really cute. Oh yeah,
1: we were fun fact. Hayden's office is covered with a uh, Gallagher posters. Remember the guy <laughs> with the hammer and the watermelon? Yeah. It was, I don't know why he had at least 13 of them. It's amazing. He also he's had a my, lot. Of, he's my hero.
0: Can I say that you had a lot of beer in your fridge that you kept giving to us?
2: Yeah. That's a metaphor. Yes. One of those things is a lie, and I'll let you (laughs) guess which one.
0: Just to be clear, does not drink when he has clients in his office. Thank thank you for that uh, disclaimer. (laughs) Sorry, Hayden. Next episode, we'll be talking about coping with the current climate on tap.
2: Episode three will be finding a therapist on tap. Episode
1: four will be therapy and men on tap.
2: Episode 5, Therapy and Women on Tap. Episode 6, Therapy and Queer People on Tap.
1: Episode 7, Therapy Around the World on Tap. Can't
0: wait. Episode 8, Substance Abuse Counseling on Tap.
2: Very apropos. Very (laughs) apropos, yes. Episode 9, Therapeutic Humor on Tap.
1: Episode 10, Suicide on Tap.
2: Episode
0: 11, non-traditional therapy on tap.
2: Episode 12, Ooh, Ooh. very near and dear to my heart, therapreneurship on tap. That's entrepreneurship and therapy. It's a portmanteau, which is itself a portmanteau.
1: (laughs) Episode 13 will be paranormal therapy on tap.
2: I can't wait.
0: With special
1: guest Dr. Peter Venkman. And finally,
0: episode 14, Bad Therapists on Tap. We had a lot of fun with that one when we came up with it. We basically wanted to find the worst therapists in yeah. town and bring them on our podcast <laughs> we're, and not tell them why they were there.
2: We're going to have guests for all of these, uh, specialists in all these topics, and, and yeah, we just got to find some bad therapists. And- <laughs>
1: <laughs> what if we just start calling bad therapists, put them on speakerphone, and pretend to be potential clients? <laughs> that's a thought that's a choice do
2: you Understood. want to do that on air And <laughs> yep live that.
1: on air we can do like a Chris Hansen thing we're in the middle of like bad therapy <laughs> we just bust in we're like what are you doing here what was that reflection oh lord thank you for listening <laughs>
0: thank you for listening everyone Get in touch with any of us, whether you want to have conversations about therapy or whether you are in Texas and want to become our clients as we are all licensed hexam therapists. Some of us twice. Some of us twice, yes. And some of us doctors in it, on the <laughs> subject. Please see the show notes where you can find the best ways to reach us. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you are enjoying the show, or if you're not. Whatever. We, we, we welcome any kind of feedback. We will be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.
2: Peace. This keg is floated. <laughs>